Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series in Romans chapter 9 to 11 today entitled, The Progress of the Gospel. So let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9 for a message Dr. Newfeld has called, You Will Be Saved. Some time ago, while I was pastoring, I got a phone call directed specifically at me, and it made me chuckle. It was from a Christian college. They were looking at hiring someone from my church who works with computers, and they were asking me for a reference how I would rate that person. Now, if you knew me well, you'd be thinking, this can only end badly. John Newfeld and computers are like telephones and lima beans. When you think about one, you don't automatically think about the other. That's how I am with computers. However, still some guy at a Christian college put the two together. I was chuckling to myself and wondering how to answer his interview questions. Well, it turns out he didn't want me to rate that person's computer skills at all. Instead, the good folks at this Christian college had a very different question for me. I was asked, if one of our students wants to know God, can this person lead him or her to Christ? Well, I was so delighted with that question. Yes, indeed, they needed a computer tech, but everyone who works on that campus needed to know how to lead someone to faith in Jesus. I was so encouraged. And yes, since I did know that man fairly well, I was able to say with confidence that this man had in the past and would in the future lead someone to faith in Christ. I can't tell you how frequently someone will say to me, I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't know if God has forgiven me. I I don't know if I'm going to heaven when I die. Think of it. They don't know. Now, I'll often say, why don't you know? And then they'll tell me what they call either their mistakes or their failures, sometimes even their sins. But of course, sometimes also they tell me of doubts or lack of confidence in the truth of Scripture, but more often a lack of confidence that God would accept them. Now, why am I mentioning this? Because many people will go through their lives and never be sure whether they're right with God. For some people, the answer is complicated. For some people, the question itself is complicated. I know of people who have even sought answers from pastors and churches only to leave without any clear answer. You know, for years I used to interview potential pastors, and the very first question that I would ask in an interview was, would you explain the gospel to me? What is the gospel? You know, I'm still shocked how often someone who felt the call to ministry did not know the gospel. I have a memory of one potential pastor trying to muddle his way through some kind of an explanation, and I was trying so desperately to understand what he was saying, and after some period of time, I asked him why he had still not mentioned the cross. And his response was, oh, yeah, I know that's important. I guess I just missed that. And so we see either because of ignorance or a lack of clear teaching or of an understanding of the Bible, there can be nothing more important than to know for certain whether our sins are forgiven and whether or not we are accepted before a holy God. Now, we've been studying Romans 9 to 11. If you've been tracking through this study, you'll know that the principal theme in these three chapters is the progress of the gospel. These three chapters tell us how God is bringing his good news of forgiveness and reconciliation to the whole world. God has historically used the Jews. It was God's sovereign choosing of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that was God's means of blessing the whole world. 
What God revealed of himself to Moses and then to David and then to the prophets would set the stage for the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. Furthermore, God is to this day still, as he did in the past, actively choosing his elect, bringing them to himself, and by his sovereign design, causing his gospel to grow. But with the coming of Christ, something amazing, something surprising has happened. I don't mean surprising to God, but surprising to us. The Jews didn't welcome their Messiah, and countless Gentiles who had no history in God were finding their way through to Jesus. And more so, the Gentiles in this present hour are being used by God to proclaim his message of love and forgiveness and reconciliation to the whole world. What adds to this surprise is that Israel, as we've seen, had put so much effort into getting right with God. They'd banished idols from their culture and civilization. They'd categorized all of God's laws and believed that there were 613 separate laws that were to be obeyed, and they had worked out principles on how to keep each law as a pattern for life. They were committed in zeal to be God's people. They had a detailed program of education in which all their children were trained in the Word of God, and after all that effort, they were still not right with God. They were out of sorts with God, and they had even walked away from their Messiah. Indeed, it turns out that Leviticus 18 verse 5 had been grossly misunderstood. And because of this misunderstanding, Christ had become a stumbling stone. They simply could not come to the conclusion that righteousness or a right standing with God was not earned through law-keeping. And so the idea that Christ bestows salvation as a free gift of grace was offensive. But arguing from Deuteronomy 30, 12, and 13, Paul has shown that salvation and God's blessing have always begun with God's grace. It's given as a gift. It's never earned or merited. Listen to Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 to 8, and hear how the God of Israel speaks to his people. He said, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Israel never had anything to commend herself to God. His grace to them was unmerited or undeserved. How could they have missed the implications of that teaching? And Paul, in explaining the intent of the law, that of leading to Christ, has therefore said that to be righteous does not require effort. It is rather offered through a change of heart. God elects his own. He changes their hearts. They love his laws and receive forgiveness as a gift from God. And if you've ever wondered, is my heart really changed? What if I'm just fooling myself? So today, let's settle that important matter. If God is causing his gospel to grow, and men and women from every tribe and nation are finding their way to Christ, shouldn't you know with certainty whether or not you are included in that great number? Today we're studying Romans 10, 9-10, and let's get the context and hear these verses within their setting, their context. So first, Romans 10, 6-8. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. 
But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim to you. Now that's the context. Now our passage. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, from those two precious verses, by the way, verses that so many believers have taken to heart and have memorized, let's draw five important principles that indicate how we can be confident of our salvation. So here's the first principle. Salvation is simple. God's plan to save you from your sins or to save you from the power of your own lower nature, from your inner bent to rebel against your maker. God's plan to save you from Satan, to save you in the day of judgment to come, to save you from God's anger. This plan of salvation is simple. Anyone can understand it. It doesn't require superhuman effort. It doesn't require an advanced degree in theology. It doesn't require that you can read the original languages, Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and maybe even Latin. It doesn't require endless memorization. It doesn't require a huge effort. It's simple. In this passage, it requires no more and no less than confessing and believing. To confess is to testify to the truth of something. And to believe is to be deeply confident in the truth of something. You see, you can have a PhD, or you can be a high school dropout. You can struggle with reading, or you can read so well that you have mastery in history and in philosophy. God's salvation does not depend upon your credentials. Indeed, your credentials are irrelevant to this thing. If today you don't know God's plan of salvation or his assurance that you can receive the righteousness of God, I promise you that if you continue to listen, you will know it with absolute certainty. This is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld, and we'll hear more about our own salvation when Dr. Newfeld returns. This month, Dr. Neufeld also shared another new series entitled Finding Forgiveness for the Worst of Sins. This is a series so important for those who are carrying a heavy burden of sin and wonder, can I be forgiven? Can I walk closely to my God again? Now this five-message series on CD is being offered for anyone who would ask for free. And not just one, but we feel this series is so important, we want to offer you a second copy for free to give to someone else in need of this great promise of forgiveness. All you need to do is ask, and we'll send you one or two copies, your choice, for free. Just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or email your request to info at backtothebible.ca. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Neufeld. In reading Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Now in that, we notice at the outset that our salvation is not complex, but it can be grasped by all, even by children. That was our first principle. Now to the second principle, salvation requires trust or faith, confidence in God, 
You can't approach God until you completely grasp this. Back in verse 8, Paul made mention of what he called the word of faith we proclaim. According to Paul, everywhere he has gone, he has been proclaiming a word or a message of faith. Faith is a synonym for trust. So keeping matters simple, you can never be right with God until you become confident that you can trust God's Son, Jesus. You know, some time ago, I was praying with someone who told me that she just didn't have assurance of salvation. I don't know if I'm saved. I I don't know if my sins are forgiven. I don't know if I died tonight, it would be well with me. It was clear that she was in torment. I tried to help her to come to terms with it, but no matter what I said, she kept saying, I don't know if I'm saved. So then I simply prayed with her. I prayed something like this. Lord Jesus Jane, and that wasn't her real name, but let's use that. Lord Jesus, Jane just doesn't trust you. She thinks you would tell her things or call her to do things or ask her to believe things that aren't true. She thinks that you'd trick her and deceive her and hurt her and that you would deliberately lead her astray. She thinks that you're like the worst kind of people that we meet, con men, that would deliberately take advantage of her, misleading her with bankrupt promises and then lead her to hell. That's what she thinks of you. Now, at that point, Jane stopped me from praying, and she said, that's not true. I do trust Jesus. But that was the moment that I was waiting for. You see, Jesus makes us promises, and he tells us how to live. And you can't get anywhere until you come to terms with this basic point. Jesus is trustworthy in all that he says and all that he promises. He has promised us that if we only believe that with his death on the cross, he has paid for all of our sins and we are counted guilty no more. We must trust his voice above the voice of our emotions and above the voice of our failures and sins and above the voices of others who tell us the opposite and above what our parents or our religion has said. You have to trust Jesus. You can never get to first base until you figure out whether or not you'll trust him. If today you're living in disobedience to Jesus, for instance, the only reason you live in disobedience to him is that you've become convinced that you can't trust him to set the direction for your life, a direction that he says would lead to eternal happiness and satisfaction. See, I got a letter from someone who told me about all the sins about lying on a resume and sleeping with someone outside of marriage and so forth, and they said, I don't know if I'm a Christian. Well, of course they don't know. Jesus has told that person to trust him even in the decisions in their life, and they've demonstrated, well, they don't trust him at all. You know, I've often sat with someone who's living in direct disobedience to Jesus, and I have a rehearsed line that I often repeat at that moment. Do you think that if you follow Jesus and do what he commands, that you'll later look back and say, that didn't turn out well at all? You see, that's a question of trust. So salvation is simple. Salvation requires trust in Jesus. Now, salvation also requires that we acknowledge the truth. Look at it this way. There are some things that you have to know and believe to be right with God. Now, it's not complicated, but it's very important. What is it that you must know? Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Now, before we get to confessing with the mouth and believing with the heart and what that means, let's get two facts straight. Here's the first. Jesus is Lord. Now, please, this is not complicated, but this is very important. You know, in the ancient Roman world, Caesar had taken a title for himself. He demanded that all those under his rule confess that Caesar is Lord. Now, what that meant was that Caesar was divine, that he was a god. And as God, he had authority to rule over his realm and command submission from the people in his empire. He had the divine right to rule. Now, Christianity was not illegal as long as Christians would be willing to confess that Caesar was Lord, but of course they couldn't do that. The title Lord, said the Christians, belonged to Jesus alone. No other human being could lay a hold of that title. So Christians were on a collision course with a powerful Roman Empire over the facts. Who is Lord? And in the end of the day, the Roman Empire lay in ruins, and the Christian church continued to grow. That's one of the proofs that Jesus and not Caesar is Lord. Now, let's be clear. The disagreement was not, is there a Lord? On that, they agreed. There was a divine figure in human form, but what is his identity? Who is Lord? Taken simply, the confession that Jesus is Lord means that Jesus Christ is no ordinary man. And Jesus is not even a great man. He's not just a great teacher or a great leader or a great prophet. Jesus Christ is God come to us in human flesh. God has put on the clothing of humanity. Because he is Lord, he therefore rules over all. And I've got to stop here because this becomes another sticking point for some. There are some who say, I can't acknowledge that, or I can't believe that, or I can't come to terms with that. But that's the requirement of salvation. The most important thing about being right with God is not how you live, or what you do, or your background, or your values, or how sincere you are. The question is, who is Jesus? And that is the issue. And now it's been very popular for some to say that they've made a personal decision to make Jesus their Lord. But if you think about it, that's crazy. You can't make Jesus Lord. He either is Lord or he's not. And if he is Lord, then the only decision that you can make is to acknowledge it or refuse to do so. And if he is Lord, if you refuse to acknowledge it, you will one day lie in ruins like the ancient Roman Empire because he is the unquestioned ruler of all. Now, just to be clear, in case you wonder how you can tell if he's Lord, Paul points to his resurrection because in rising from the dead, Jesus demonstrated that he is not just Lord of you. He is Lord of death itself. So let's review. Number one, salvation is simple. Two, it requires trust in Jesus. Three, it requires that you come to terms with the basic fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. And now fourth, salvation is both personal and it's public. And I say that because if you look again at verse 9, you will no doubt see that you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Look at it this way. There are some people who confess with their mouth only. That is, they say things, but they can't live them out. And they really don't believe it after all. We call this kind of a person a hypocrite. They say one thing and they're actually different on the inside. On the other hand, there are people who believe something in their heart, but they just never confess it. 
And that's called, hear me, it's called a betrayal of Christ. That's what Jesus meant when he, when he said, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges before man, the Son of Man will acknowledge him before the angels of God. And by the way, that's really what baptism is designed to do. It's a public confession before your family and your friends and your work colleagues and your classmates and more before the angels in heaven and the demons of hell that this is where you stand. Now, finally, fifth, salvation involves a complete surrender to Jesus. To say that he is Lord is to submit to him. Now, just so we're clear, the cross is central. The cross explains to us how it is that a just God can forgive our sins and still remain the just God. But from this truth has come an error. Some believe that as long as I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that I'm saved. But that alone is untrue. What is true is that I must surrender my life into his hands, surrender my life and my lifestyle choices to him, trust him with my life. You simply pray this prayer. Say, until today, I've made my own decisions, but this day, I acknowledge that you, Jesus, are Lord, and I believe that you were raised from the dead. And so I surrender to your leadership and your direction in my life. This includes my sexuality and my money and my intellect and my future. I trust you with it all. I surrender my life to you. Now, when you do that, hear me. The Bible says unequivocally, you are saved and you will be saved. John, obviously, this is a fundamental message for our faith for believing in Christ Jesus. But I think sometimes we get the truth of what's being said mixed up with our feelings about whether or not Christ would actually love us this much. How do we deal with that? Yeah, I, I do think that uh, we need to continue to say that the gospel is about what Christ has done. I mean, I think eventually, as we continue to believe in him, that our feelings will be arranged correctly. But it's just so backwards when we're constantly looking at our own feelings and say, I don't know if I'm really loved by God. What we really should be looking at is the cross and saying, is there enough evidence in the cross that tells me that God, in fact, loved me? And the answer is, of course. Of course there is. So we need to rearrange ourselves and get confidence in what God has said and what God has done, the promises that he's made, and simply say, I will trust him. That's the entire issue in our salvation. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. By becoming a Back to the Bible Canada monthly partner, you join an essential group of ministry friends who represent the very backbone of this ministry. Your monthly gifts sustain our daily program, allow us to make our Bible teaching program available without restriction across Canada, in fact, around the world, online, through podcast, audio mail, or mobile app, and because of your support, it's made available for free. And don't underestimate the importance and impact on the spiritual journey of people of all ages and backgrounds. So become a monthly partner today by responding to our Partner to Tell campaign. You can do so by calling 1-800-663-2425 today or join online at backtothebible.ca and discover all the benefits to you and others of becoming a Back to the Bible Canada monthly partner.
That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.